Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, the Homebrew Pub will turn into the guest brewer's perfect brew pub. So please come in, grab a stool, and grab a pint. This week we welcome to the pub Stephanie from Poor Decisions. Hello Stephanie. Hello Andrew, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So you are different from our other guests in that you don't make beer. I don't. I'm I'm starting to get into it, but I am primarily a mead and sake maker. That is awesome. And you're you have your YouTube channel making poor decisions where you're basically educating and showing how to make the uh, make those things. Yeah, pretty much. So um, I just wanted to create a channel where people who are interested in making mead, much like myself, can just watch. It's rel- relatively quick videos. I think my longest video is like 12 minutes long because mm-hmm. I know our attention spans are pretty short, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got into mead making about a year ago, and I did it primarily by watching YouTube videos. And I've been making four gallons. It takes about two months to really process out, but like four gallons at a time. And I'm really experimental with what I do. And I like to have fun. And I like to use things that are just like in the kitchen or quote unquote natural ingredients. So I just thought, you know, why not me too? Like, why don't have a YouTube channel where I show people how to make mead much like how I learned how to make mead because it's such a simple process. Uh, It's really realistically just time. Um, Mm -hmm. But making beer is definitely something that I want to get into. Um, And, you know, we have our mutual friend, Matt, who's actually coaching me along with that. So I'll eventually have some beer making videos on my channel. I just want to make a few batches first, make sure I'm not poisoning anyone uh, before I record. (laughs) It's it's hard to poison with beer. (laughs) (laughs) I'll find a way. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously with, um, because I don't know too much about mead. I mean, obviously with homebrewing, there is a big community out there, a lot of YouTubes and podcasts. Is that the same for mead or do you find it much more of a niche uh, like community? Oh no, there are tons of mead makers on YouTube and on Instagram. I'm sure there are podcasts as well. Um, I haven't really come across any, but at the same time, I haven't been looking for any. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on YouTube, like the, the big the big channel that I follow, the channel that uh, really guided me through the process when I first started is uh, City Steading Brews. Uh, then we have Doing the Most. 
Uh, you have man-made mead, arrow to the mead, Feywood mead. Like there are just so many uh, creators out there, content creators for mead making, and everybody does it a little bit differently, which I really like. But there's just so you can get really creative with the process. Um, but there's there's a lot. There's a big community out there, and everyone has been so nice so yeah. far. Yeah, like which is sometimes a little shaky when you're doing things on the internet, especially with YouTube and Instagram. Not everyone you encounter is going to be nice, but my personal experience so far is everyone's just so encouraging and just wants the community to grow, which is very, very encouraging. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's never any mean people in in beer groups and <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, the internet's all sunshine and rainbows. So, so, you don't have I, to worry about that. I I once posted in one of the Facebook group say oh here i am brewing my vanilla raspberry beer and some guy just off the gate just went that sounds disgusting right <laughs> i was like wow just, like, no nothing construct now i will say i will say if you want to start a fight in the mead making community just bring up raisins right okay and it's so fun so raisins is like the most controversial topic in mead <laughs> one of them at least because there are groups of people out there that like say oh new raisins are good nutrient for yeast mm -hmm. which they you know they're not really not they add good flavor but then you, you if you want if you want to start a fight right go on to uh the mead section of reddit um which is a great start and just type in a question about raisins and then just watch the chaos <laughs> 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 So yeah, it's it's very difficult to to find an like, an like a nasty argument within the mead community unless you're bringing up raisins, which is kind of funny. Because <laughs> in the beer one, like it, whatever you do starts an argument. It's kind <laughs> of incredible. <laughs> and I've been lucky because I, you know, I mean, our friend Matt and like doing this, I've met some very wonderful people in in those groups and things. But occasionally, it's just like, did you really have to put that out there? <laughs> Did it enhance your life in any way? Right. I don't know. Some some people just want to watch the world burn, but I just want to watch it ferment. Precisely. <laughs> so when you're when you're making mead, I mean, first I'd love for you to kind of just tell me very high level process, but then how do you approach each batch of mead that you make? So the way that I approach it. Um, I know, like I said before, I'm very experimental. So I've made some batches that have been really good, and I've made some batches that are just like, meh, okay. Uh, but I, I like to approach it like everything is a new experiment. Even if it's a type of mead that I've made before, I want to know what can I do differently that can change the outcome. Like maybe I could use same honey, different yeast, or maybe I'll keep it at a different temperature. What do the temperatures do for for the flavors and things like that? Um, but this process itself is honestly very, very, very simple. All you need is water, good water, spring water, mm -hmm. honey, and yeast at the very basic. That's it, you put it in a carboy, you put it in a fermenter, you shake it up, get a lot of oxygen in there, and then you kind of let it sit for a few weeks. Once the uh, activity stops, you stop seeing bubbles, your, the pressure in your airlock neutralizes. Then you rack it, put it into sen uh, uh, secondary, let it clarify for a while, put it into bottles, and then that's pretty much it. I mean, depending on the types of mead you brew, some of them are really good to drink right off the bat, like right away, and others might need six months to a year to age out like the higher abv in in mead the longer you want to let that sit to mellow out to have it 
taste really nice. But if you have a nice session mead, which is somewhere around like a beer, right? Like five, four or mm-hmm. 5%, that's going to be ready to drink way sooner. So I don't know. I just like to experiment and see what I can do, see how high I can get the ABV, see if I can kind of control it and keep the ABV low. It's each batch is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And then, so, I mean, cause meat at his very base is honey. So then how are you deciding on what flavors to experiment with? Uh, what you want to throw in it? Do you want to throw in raisins? I don't know. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so it honestly can, depend on the honey because each honey is going to have a different flavor profile like i have uh, a couple pounds of sourwood honey which despite its name actually has more of like a cinnamony or spicy flavor to it so when i'm thinking about making a mead i first have to taste my honey and see all right well what flavors are going to work with this cinnamon and spicy because maybe you know maybe i want to add a citrus element to that or or maybe i want to do like oh maybe i could do something with apple because the cinnamon spicy appleness like would would taste really well together uh where you know i wouldn't add things like passion fruit where you know maybe the cinnamon and passion fruit might not meld well together so first i want to taste my honey see what that is and then just pick flavors that i think would taste really great with that or maybe i have a really like buckwheat honey buckwheat honey is great on its own mm-hmm. where you don't necessarily need to add any flavorings to it so i try to along with the uh other ingredients that i use like my additives i like to get a wide variety of honey just to see you know what that's going to do okay and so because i was totally this is how like naive i am <laughs> i i was unaware there are different types of honey so are they like oh, taking yeah. honey from bees and you know, storing it in certain ways? Or how are you getting those different flavors out of that honey? Well, it's different bees make different flavors. And depending on where they, you know, gathered their pollen. Like, so there's stories of like uh, bees that are apiaries near candy factories, right? Mm -hmm. You could actually get blue honey. I think it was the M&M factory where apiaries near the M&M factory actually got blue honey because (laughs) the bees were going into the, the waste of the candy and sucking up all that sugar, taking it back to the hive, and then the beekeepers went like, "What's this blue color, right?" So <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> but like, there's there's almond honey uh, certain times of the year, like right around this time of year. Uh, it's actually my favorite type of honey, um, where the bees in the south will start pollinating with almond flowers, and that has a much different taste than like a wildflower honey would have and that's going to have a much different flavor than a buckwheat like a buckwheat honey is dark and it's like really earthy flavors whereas like a tulepo honey uh which is another type of flower is very sugary like Mm -hmm. it all depends on the content of the nectar and the pollen that the bees are gathering where they're getting it from and the effectiveness of the hive too because there's like a whole you know, you could, you could, I think it's called the book's called like Honeybee Democracy, where you could actually read more into the um, the lives of the honeybee. Uh, but each hive is going even even like though you have the same flowers, right? Each hive each hive is going to create its own different flavors because they're their own little people, essentially. <laughs> but it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, and even like you could have like the same apiary with the same, and they they have the same bees, and they go to the same flower patch say like, every spring. 
but maybe those flowers, like maybe one year the flowers had a, a better blooming year than the other flowers, right? Mm -hmm. So one batch of honey might taste better than the other batch of honey because the nectar was slightly different. So yeah, long story short, that was a really long-winded way to say, yep, honey has its own different flavor profiles. So. That's so interesting to me because, you know, I mean, to me, honey's honey. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah, you go to the grocery store, you get the bear, and yeah, that's it. Precisely. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's like raspberry honey, there's almond honey, buckwheat, tulepo, like uh, the sour, sour wood that I have now too. And then you can get like imported honey from Germany that's going to have completely different flavors that American honey is going to have. So, yeah, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of different varieties of honey out there you could play with. So Orange blossom is another great one, too. Mm. Obviously, great with citrus. So, when you go to a farmer's market, are you just like clearing out the honey stand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if I, if I go to a farmer's market, um, one of the first things I go to is if I, if I see a honey stand, I'm like making, pun intended, a beeline right to... <laughs> that was awful. Get out of my pub. I uh, know. No, it's, it's, now it's going to continue to happen. It right. just gave me power. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, and I have, I have a, a, a favorite shop that I like to get from too. So I lived in Philadelphia for a while, and I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but there's a place there called the Reading Terminal Market mm -hmm. where you get a lot of like artisanal like like crafted food and it's just so good and one of the companies is called be natural and they're just they're in that area and they have like the best almond honey and i swear i buy them out whenever i see it's available <laughs> online i'm yeah. just like give me all of your honey just all of it and it's very reasonably priced um but yeah if i'm if i'm going somewhere because i travel a lot for work too so if I'm going somewhere and I see that there's like a different kind of honey and I get to sample it and it's good, I'm just like, okay, just can you ship it, please? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but with, I mean, <clears throat> obviously you're getting into like the specialist honey. You've been mm -hmm. doing this for a while. So you're like, all right, I'm going to experiment with all these different honeys. Is the honey in the grocery store, if someone wanted to try making mead, is that honey good for mead or would you recommend going for something more artisanal slash higher quality? If you're just starting out, there is absolutely nothing wrong with grocery store honey with, with a caveat. Make sure it's actually honey and not like golden corn syrup because you can get like, serious because there are certain things where like, or certain companies will get really loose with the term honey, right? And my, or you might see honey flavored where it looks like honey, it's you know syrupy and has that golden color, but it's actually corn syrup. And if you try to use that, it's going to taste really, really bad. And similar <laughs> thing with maple syrup, right? There's, there's, it's actually corn syrup that's flavored like maple, flavored like maple, and it's brown because they put additives in it, but it's just corn syrup. So as long as you're using actual honey, Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with the grocery store stuff. That's right. actually how I started. Yeah. And then, you know, because I'm scented in beer, is there ever any hopped honey? Have you ever experimented yeah. with that? There's there's plenty of uh, meads out there that are hopped. Oh. I've, I personally haven't hopped any of mine. It's something that I've been wanting to do. Uh, but I kind of have squirrel brain where I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And then I see a YouTube video of somebody using, like, marshmallows in it. Like, oh, I want to do that now. Like, right? <laughs> so I have, like, this laundry list of flavors. Like, I saw somebody make, like, an onion mead for, to make to cook with for slavery things. And somebody else used saffron. I'm like, I want to do all of that. So 
I just have this list that is ever growing. It never gets shorter. <laughs> <laughs> so then how long, how long is a, is a day of making meat? Because I mean, brewing beer, depending on your setup can be like five to eight hours. How much time do you set aside to make the meat itself? Like an hour, maybe. Well, that's not like bad. maybe. And it's honestly, I, I'm thinking an hour now because I started my YouTube channel and like it takes me an hour to set everything up and then, you know, I have to talk and then do it over again because I fumbled over my words. But if I'm not <laughs> if I'm not recording anything and I just want to start a, a gallon, because I do a gallon at a time, mm-hmm. maybe half hour. I think honestly, the setting up and the cleanup takes longer than actually making the must and the must is just what we call the the water the honey and the yeast after it's all mixed together it's called a must yeah. um and it that takes like a half hour and then you put it in a cabinet put it in a dark cool place let it sit for a couple of weeks and then you rack it and again that like the cleaning of the setup and the cleanup takes longer than the actual racking process the actual racking process takes like five minutes okay. and then let it sit again so most of mead making is just waiting yeah yeah and with with like the setup and the cleaning i'm just going to assume that mead is uh prone and viable uh prone to infections as well as beer is oh yeah for sure uh so you know i use sterilize everything with star sand i think most uh beer you beer brewers do star mm-hmm. sand as well but everything gets sanitized with star sand um and then you just make sure that it, there's no direct sunlight because yeast doesn't like direct sunlight. Make sure it's like in a cooler place, depending on what strain of yeast you use. Some yeast like warmer, some yeast like cooler, but usually around like 60 to 70 degrees and you're good to go. Uh, but it as, absolutely is prone to infection, especially in the early stages. Uh, and especially if you're using fruit in your primary uh, primary fermentation stage, you have to make sure that if you're using fruit, got to punch the fruit down like at least twice a day for the first week or so so you don't get any mold but then after it ferments and your alcohol content gets high enough the risk of it getting infected or the risk of it turning into vinegar is less and less because like from what I understand and please correct me if I'm wrong but I talk to a lot of you know on, on Instagrams especially I, sp- I talk to a lot of people who brew beer and they're like aren't you worried about oxygenation and I'm like well this this mead right now is at 20% ABV I'm not worried about that at this stage <laughs> <laughs> whatever comes into contact with this is <laughs> I'm not worried about vinegar. Yeah. Like, you know, just like so many like like oh oxygenation. I'm like it's a little bit it's a little bit different for me. It's a little bit like I still have to worry about it. I want a lot of oxygen in the in the primary stages because the, that's what the yeast needs. It yeah. Needs, you know, needs nutrient, needs oxygenation. But after like after it gets like you know 12, 13, 14, 15 percent, I'm like I'm not I'm not as worried about oxygen getting in there after it gets to that stage. And it can honestly get that high in about two weeks. Oh wow. Yeah. And like in that two week process in primary, I don't, I don't open up the airlock at all. I don't remove the bung. I just let it sit. I let it do its thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll feed it. I'll give it nutrient. But when you're making a gallon at a time, because I make very, very small batches at a time, you don't really have to worry too much about nutrients at that stage. When you're making like three, four or five gallons and yeah, you want to feed it yeah. step feeding, but we just said a gallon at a time. You don't have to worry about it. So, and I know everything is sanitized 
it's out of the way. I, I have yet had a brew go moldy. I have yet had a brew to turn to vinegar, you know, <laughs> knock on wood. I'm sure it's going to happen eventually, but, yeah. um, you know, I've been doing this for about a year now. And so far, everything has been, at the very least, drinkable. That's awesome. Yeah, the, your your first yeah. infection is one of the saddest days of your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back to the light thing. The light thing fascinated me because my understanding was you kept beer in the dark because um, the hops hated light. But... Yeah, I I'm sure it does, but so does yeast. Ah, mm-hmm. I had no idea about that. Yeah, that's why like, if you see uh, even like bread yeast, if you get like the the uh, active bread yeast in the container, it's usually kept in the refrigerator in a dark, you've never seen like a clear yeast container. It's usually like that amber color mm-hmm. or they're held in packets because yeast really don't like direct sunlight either. Yeah. See, I'm just learning all over the shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what mead are you going to add to our homebrew pubs ever growing tap list? So, the mead that I'm going to add is my absolute all-time favorite mead that I've ever made. I'm actually going to re- kind of recreate it here, I think probably next week. Uh, but it's I call it Helgen. Um, do, you, do you play video games at all? Not uh, really. Andrew? Not really. Okay. So for anybody out there who is listening, you might recognize that name as a town in the uh, wonderful game of Skyrim. I've been playing Skyrim for like 10 years, ever since it came out. And in the very beginning of the game, you're a prisoner and you're getting taken to this town called Helgen. And one of the other prisoners is talking about, you know, somebody who they know in this town named Vlad. And Vlad made this mead with juniper berries. And then a dragon comes and burns the whole town down and the game starts. So I thought that I love juniper berries because I also love gin. I'm a very big gin fanatic. So I wanted to combine my love for mead and my love for gin and my love for Skyrim, because I'm a nerd, <laughs> and I wanted to make a, 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 a Vlod's mead, right? So I was actually playing around with two different recipes, one called Vlod, which is just mead with just juniper berries in it, and then I was writing this other recipe for a mead that I was going to call uh, Ginny Meadsley, pun again, <laughs> told you it was going to keep on Get happening. out. <laughs> you are <laughs> barred. Absolutely not. <laughs> you let me in, sir. Uh, so, <laughs> so what it is, is it's a mead with a lot of gin botanicals. So it has ju- primarily juniper berries, but it also has cinnamon. It also has coriander, and it has a few other things in it as well. Um, and then I age it on uh, birch wood that I actually torched, because again, in the game, the dragon comes and burns... <laughs> everything to the ground so i torched birch wood and i aged it on on scorched birch and after i let it sit for like a couple months i tasted it and i was like oh my gosh this is this is gin like i think it was like 16 percent, which is respectable amount of abv not too too high obviously not as high as you would for gin so you could still pour a glass of it but you could also you know mix it in cocktails and it was just so good and i i have like i think two or three bottles left of it and i'm like almost like sad to touch it but then you know i had the stroke of genius so like i could just make it i could just make more like what am i doing so that is, <laughs> that is what i'm going to do i'm going to recreate it and tweak it a little bit to see how, how different i could get it this time even though i loved it so much um i I'm sure I can make it better. So that is that's the mean that I'm going to be giving to our brew pub. That sounds absolutely amazing, because <laughs> I'm a I'm a gin person too, and that just yeah, yeah that that sounds incredible. Um, as amazing as that mead sounds, I want to know what was the mead 
all the drink that you made, and you're like, never again. This was a mistake. <laughs> so also, a Skyrim-inspired mead, funny enough. So it, w it wasn't originally a Skyrim-inspired mead, so let me, let me start from the beginning. I was doing a whole video game series, because uh, I do four gallons at a time. So I wanted to do, like, I had my Skyrim mead. I had a mead based off of the Tasty Mead from Valheim, which is a, an online game. Uh, and then I had um, a Dark Chai Mead based off of Ooh. Divinity Divinity 2. And then I wanted to create, I, I had this idea of creating a blue mead that kind of looked like a magic potion. And I originally wanted to call it Navi. And this is my cursed mead. This is my never again <laughs> mead. And I used blue butterfly pea powder. Which, you know, if you've ever seen it on the internet, it makes your drinks blue. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to use that. And I heard it's very reminiscent of um, matcha, because I really mm -hmm. like green tea matcha. So like, okay, I'll, I'll use this. And when I first created it, it was this beautiful, like, dark navy, not navy blue, like almost like a cerulean blue color. It was like, it was gorgeous. And I was very excited about it. Uh, but then I forgot basic science, because when you add citrus... <laughs> To do blue butterfly pea butter, which my, I do add citrus to my meads to balance it out, it turns purple. So after a couple of days, it went from this beautiful cerulean blue to like a violet. And I was like, yeah, obviously I, I, I knew that, uh, but I wasn't thinking ahead. So it went from Navi, which is a little blue fairy in, um, in Legend of Zelda, to Skuma, which is... <laughs> <laughs> which is a type of potion, it's a drug really, in the Elder Scrolls universe. So I was like, alright, still sticking with my video games, I have two Elder Scrolls thing, it's fine, Elder Scrolls is great, it deserves two meads. So then, I left for a week, so I travel a lot for work, and I left, and then I get a series of um, a desperate texts from my husband, because as soon as I leave, this is like the first brew that I've ever had to have blow off, mm -hmm. and it erupted which is bad enough right but andrew you have to remember this is now purple so i had purple <laughs> foam all over the white walls and my husband's like it's not it's not stopping what do i do so i'm trying to like walk him through a blow-off tube <laughs> it sits in the bathtub and he's like this is the first time it ever happens i wasn't home i felt so horrible he's just like I, I don't know what this is, but I hate whatever you just made. So that's, you know, it's kind of hard <laughs> to off. And then I get to taste it. And honestly, it's, it, I think I put too much butterfly pea powder because it was like such an earthy taste mm. where normally when I'm, like when I'm putting my meads in a secondary and I'm bottling it, I usually reserve a, like a, a glass for myself and I drink it and I enjoy it. This was the first one where I was just like, I'm just going to let this age and see what it does. Yeah. And I haven't opened it since. I bottled it. Oh, like you still in... have it. <laughs> I have it. I bottled it in. <laughs> I bottled it in like July yeah. of last year. So I'm like, maybe if I let it, it's been six months. Maybe I'll open a bottle up and see if six months. But it was, it was just like, it wasn't a necessarily a bad flavor. It was just like I couldn't taste any honey. It was just all the blue butterfly pea powder. Uh, just again, I just think I used too much i have the too much gene and i just feel like eh, this is fine um i had no i haven't opened it up since i had such uh bad memories yeah <laughs> <laughs> aimed my walls you know and my, my poor husband was traumatized <laughs> <laughs> i i will say that is the one piece of advice i give every new brewer um and now any mead maker as well like yep. do not use an airlock 
always yeah. use a blow for off the first tube. few days yeah yeah because and even because i've even had them explode out of the um because mm. the i had too much uh sanitizer in in the container so like they leak out of that and my carpet yep. behind me is ruined um yep. but at least I didn't have that explosion up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this one like, it popped, and I was, I my, yeah, I wasn't home to clean it up, so that was just unfortunate. And I'm, I'm happy that my husband was, because could you imagine just like days of foam? Like it was, it'd be a nightmare. But you know, I, I'm a little bit gun shy to try this mead because it is cursed. It's absolutely. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> Never again. Well, if you if you do open it, could you let us know how it is after uh, seven months of aging? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I absolutely will. I'll, I'll put something up on my Instagram. I might actually try it tonight just just because you've inspired me, and I have three <laughs> bottles of it, and I have to do something with it. <laughs> you should. I mean, you should at least keep one bottle as a reminder of never yeah. again. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> So as we sit here in the mythical homebrew pub that turns into whatever you want it to be, yeah. what is your perfect homebrew pub and what would it be called? So my perfect homebrew pub uh, would be called Fish Scale. And the reason that it's Fish Scale, so when I first started brewing, uh, my husband, who is a designer by trade, created these really cool labels for me. And he called it Fish Scale Meadery uh, because he is the Pisces and I'm a Libra and we like puns. So <laughs> I told you it was going to keep on happening. Uh, uh, so fish scale, uh, that, that's what it would be. And I'd like it to be like, you know, by the water and a nice serene place. We could just come and relax. And uh, one of the coolest pubs I've ever been to is actually in Portland, Oregon. And it's called Weird Leather and Mead. And it has just this really cool, like medieval fantasy bar vibe where like you're walking into like a bar in Skyrim or you're walking to a pub in like you know it's ancient Nordic because they have like ancient Nordic rooms everywhere and it's just so cool so something very similar to that like you're a weary traveler coming on from the road you're sitting down by the fire you're having a plate of stew and a flagon of mead and that's that's what I'd like that's that's my ideal brew pub that sounds delightful and would you know it we have now turned into fish scale yes <laughs> So please, everyone, come and join us for a very juniper-forward mead mm -hmm. at Fish Scale. Love it. No skooma allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Huge thank you to Stephanie for coming on. Please do go and check out her video series on YouTube. I'll be putting a link to it in the show notes. Um, because if you're interested in making mead, she covers the lot. And of course, thank you so much for listening. If you could leave us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcast, that'll just help other people find the show. If you want to reach out to us, possibly come on and share a pint with me. You can reach us at our website, thehomebrewpub.com, or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com, or on social, at thehomebrewpub on Instagram and Twitter. And if, like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the Homebrew Pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time, cheers. <laughs>